And thank you very much. We're going to read a half of a scripture for our text, and it is in Exodus 33. And we will get that to that in a moment. Probably what I'm preaching tonight is very timely. Um, through the trial of the turkey bowl, we want to maintain friendship when it's all said and done. Uh, I don't know that Pastor Glenn and I will be available to pray for anyone who breaks something. So uh, don't act. I mean, if you're over 40, don't act like you're 18. Just deal with reality. Take it slow. Stay saved. If you don't know what the turkey bowl is, you can uh, ask Angel or myself or somebody. And if bragging rights is the only uh, reward, I think, uh, at least from Angel's perspective, that'd be enough, right? Yeah, okay, there's a trophy, all right. Okay, Exodus 33. I think all of us would agree or acknowledge, at least you should acknowledge, that a very real need that all of us have is for friends and confidants. I told someone I want the word confidant in the title. and said, what does that mean? A confidant is someone that you can tell secrets to and trust. Quite an amazing uh, article. It's not new, but I remembered it when I was thinking about this sermon. 25% of all Americans today have no one to confide in. Americans have a hard time in this arena, this article says. Americans have a third fewer close friends and confidants than just two decades ago. A sign that people may be living lonelier, more isolated lives than in the past. In 1985, the average American had three people in whom to confide matters that were important to them. In 2004, that number has dropped to two, and one in four Americans has no close confidants at all. Now, this is acknowledged by this article, and it should be acknowledged by us. This is unusual, and this is very unhealthy. The article went on to say why people... Have fewer close relationships is unclear. It's a mystery, and there may be many culprits. Now, this is an issue that should be clarified and examined because of the above scenario that I described, and this may very well be reflected in the church of Jesus Christ, because, come on, relationships are going to be challenging. It's not going to happen that you're going to live life and interact with people and uh, have uh, friendships and relationships and confidants. It's not going to be possible that you're not going to end up offended. Pastor Ruby was telling me that a visitor walked into his church and was greeting him and said, Pastor, uh, I just want to ask you, uh, if I come to this church, can you guarantee that I won't be offended? 
This is someone that's obviously hopped around church to church, gets offended, leaves, and Pastor Ruby said, no, I can't. What I can guarantee you is that if you come to this church, you will be offended. Isolation, conflict. We treat relationships today as disposable. This is an age where fostering and maintaining and keeping lifelong friendship, lifelong confidence, relationships is becoming more and more rare. So I want to preach on friends and confidants. And I want to challenge you with this subject. And I believe God's going to talk to us and help us. I only have half a scripture for our text, and it is found in Exodus 33, verse 11. And it says, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together. Thank you for the service this morning, all that you did at the altars, and all that you're going to do tonight, Lord. We we sanctify this altar area for your work in our lives in the advance of your purpose And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's make some kind of an effort tonight to define true friendship. We have a lot of wrong ideas, and those wrong ideas about friendship are in our own hearts. I think the main culprit to friendship and having confidence in our lives is sin and selfishness. Sin and selfishness distorts our perspective. It perverts our conduct when it comes to relationship. Mishandling offense, nothing new in the church. Not handling offense correctly, having a friendship uh, uh, one day, one week uh, uh, that is, uh, has been a long-lasting friendship, uh, and then something happens, uh, and these two individuals uh, are unable to fix it and repair it. And it results in a permanent breach. Quite often, whether intentionally or unintentionally or inadvertently, We get hurt and offended in relationships, and we hurt and we offend those that are closest to us. That's going to happen. It's going to be part of relationship. There's so much room in our relationships for offense and for misunderstanding. People who cannot handle and process and get over offense and forgive won't maintain long-term relationships. Let me give you a pop quiz. Put your thinking cap on, as your teacher used to say. Name right now, quickly, not out loud, but just in your thinking, your top five friends and confidants. Some of you have no problem. You could easily name more than five, perhaps. Others struggle to come up with one. There was a story of two friends that were out hunting. You probably heard this. 
They're out hunting, and they're hunting bear. They got everything they need. But the problem is they wake up in the morning. They're just getting the goo out of their eyes, and a bear is charging for them. They don't have time to get their guns. So one of the guys starts putting on his shoes. Got tennis shoes. He starts putting them on. And the guy says, what are you doing? You're not going to outrun the bear. He said, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. (laughs) Don't think that we are past exhibiting selfishness in our friendships, in our relationships. Let me just make a few comments about what friendship is not, first of all. Friendship is not using people to your own advantage. I need something, let me call a friend. That may be necessary from time to time, but if that's all friendship is, uh, uh, having people around you that you can use uh, to advance yourself. I need friends uh, who can benefit me. I need friends who can uh, uh, add uh, to my financial status or whatever it may be. The Bible says... uh, that one of the marks of the last day is going to be this very thing, a a complete twisting uh, and selfishness uh, and perversion of friendship. Uh, Know this, and in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. So when somebody loves themselves primarily, uh, all their friendships are going to be skewed. And it goes on to mention uh, uh, those that are going to be proud and and unthankful uh, and um, traitors, Uh, and such things, uh, and all of that uh, uh, defines uh, friendship uh, in a very twisted and in a very perverted way. Sin distorts, selfishness distorts our view of people and relationships. The second thing that friendship is not, friendship is not covering up when sin or error, or foolishness, or unwise behavior takes hold of your friend's life. People think that real friendship is covering up. Listen, uh, if you're my friend, you won't tell on me. You won't get me in trouble. This drives me out of my mind in the church. Someone gets involved in sexual immorality, uh, and their little buddies uh, all around them are aware of it, uh, and they cover for them. That is not friendship. That is not acting in that person's best interest. Someone said in our dealings with those caught in sexual lust, mercy is incomplete unless we do as Jesus did and call it sin. We have worked, giggled, made alibis or ignored sin far too long. A friend indeed is one who says quietly but firmly, what you're doing, friend, is sin. It is wrong. It is harmful to you and others. It is destructive to God, to God's dream for your life. And you need to confess up and repent. To cover up sin of a quote-unquote friend, if that's why you have the friends you have, and those are the kind of people you confide in, you'll confide if they'll Cover for you. That's not friendship. It's a perverted, twisted view of relationship. Friendship is not agreement and perfect compatibility. Your friends in life are going to make you mad. They are. 
they're going to frustrate you sometimes because they're going to be in disagreement. Proverbs 27, I think, implies this. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Wounds from a friend, another translation says, can be trusted. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Some features of real friendship is chafing. We rub against each other. And in the rubbing against, of course, not literally, but in the rubbing against, we smooth out the rough edges. There are some rough edges that are not going to get smoothed out unless you come to some level of discomfort. In that relationship. So let's look at the other side of that coin. What friendship is not. Let's talk about what it is. And make an effort to define it. Because the attributes of friendship. In this scripture is so interesting to me. And when I read it in my devotional Bible reading. It struck me. And I kind of set it aside a few weeks ago. To consider it for a sermon. So what it is saying is that the qualities of friendship are derived from God himself. This is how he describes who he is. I am a friend. That's who I am. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. This gives us what is to me fascinating insight. Think about this. The Lord spoke to Moses. It would have been enough just to say that, wouldn't it? If it just said, so the Lord spoke to Moses uh, and then moved on. God is communicating with him. What else do we need to know? Well, apparently God wants us to know how he talked to him. Because you can talk to people uh, in a lot of different ways. God wants us to know how he communicated with Moses. What his disposition was when he spoke to him. And he said, I spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Again, it wasn't enough for God to say that he spoke with Moses. Because there are all kinds of ways that people speak to other people. There is a way that a boss may speak to an employee. There is a way that a general or a captain or a lieutenant may speak to a subordinate in the military. There may be a particular way that someone would speak to a friend or a servant. There are a lot of different ways that we position ourselves to talk to people. And God wants us to know that he spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. We can talk in a lot of different ways. We can speak out of anger. We can speak out of selfishness. We can speak because some agenda is at work in our lives. And God is saying here that his conversation, his disposition, and the way that he forms his word and talks to Moses is the same way that is between friends when you're interacting and you're fellowshipping and you're talking and you're having a conversation and you're animated and you're with someone that you like and you're feeling comfortable. God wants us to know that this is how he spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. And I think that's noteworthy 
Because that's not how we view how God talks to people, speaks to us. We view it more, as I said, uh, of a boss uh, with an employee uh, or a military superior speaking to a buck private. Uh, it's an order, uh, and then it's a salute. And yet God said, no, not how I talk. That's not how I interacted with Moses. Uh, I interacted with him uh, like two friends talking. And it's not the only reference to this, interestingly enough. Isaiah 41.8, but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. What a fascinating little sentiment. He doesn't have to say that. It could say, but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham. Put a period there. But it means so much more because he said, Abraham, my friend. Job, this was his, this is from a different translation than what I normally read from. He said, oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's uh, intimate friendship uh, blessed my house. So let's put some definition to this. Friendship, real friendship, and having a real confidant uh, in your life is something unique. It's something very special, and it's something set apart It's something worth guarding and worth protecting and worth fostering. You can love people in general. You know the old sentiment, uh, Charlie Brown, the cartoon character, uh, said in one of his famous cartoons, well, he didn't say it, you know what I mean, the guy drew it, but uh, he said, uh, I love humanity, it's people I can't stand. Oh, pastor, I love those people in Africa, in Russia, in the mission field, in the Philippines, down in Mexico. I love, love, love just everybody. And then you can't get along for five minutes with the people next to you. Paul referred not to everyone as a friend. Paul, a prisoner of Christ. Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend. And fellow laborer. He didn't call everybody that. It was something very special. Onesiphorus, remember, was the one who searched Paul out and brought great comfort to him. So these, you know, this business of Facebook and having 1,500 friends. And you feel so good about yourself because you think you got all these friends who don't love you, care about you, know you, not going to be there for you when you collapse, when you have a need in your life. Friendship is characterized by love and by loyalty. This love is born of familiarity. You know, a lot of relationships get worse the more familiar you become. You know, some people are very good at first impressions. I know people like this. Man, they can, I mean, they walk into a room, you first meet them, you think, man, you've got a friend for life uh, until you hang out with them a little bit and become a little more familiar with them. But real friendship that is born of love and loyalty can survive and endure some characteristics and flaws and things that become apparent down the road in the relationship. It's kind of like marriage. You know how marriage is. The girl and the guy that are dating, they're primed and proper and they're looking their best, talking their best. They smell their best. 
And you never see anything other than them after they have prepared to be with you. And then you marry them. And then you wake up the next morning alongside of them. And you think, where is the guy that I married? Where is, more often it would be, where is the woman that I married? Well, we accept that. We accept that flaws are going to become apparent down the road in any friendship. That's why the Bible reinforces friendship. Proverbs 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That means something. How many have ever disposed of someone because of adversity? Or you've disposed of someone because of offense. Or they didn't please you in some way. Or they hurt you really bad even. So we dispose of them. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that's not talking about God. That's talking about human relationships. And this is what's communicated in the text. Proverbs 27 again says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, but the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. So friendship is able to survive, and it is able to endure, and it is able to remain intact. There may be rough edges, rough patches. There may be offenses. There may be difficulties. But friendships, real ones, are able to be maintained because of a rich, deep spiritual dimension that is inside of a person that is able to forgive and recover and get through the hardship and the difficulty and the stress and pressure that every relationship is going to go through. A real friend is concerned. A real friend is concerned for well-being, both present and future. A friend is willing to take action on behalf of the other individual even though that action may not be welcomed at the time, meaning that you don't just let things go that could be harmful. A friend is someone who can and will speak into your life. Proverbs 19, listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. A lot of counsel and a lot of instruction that you're going to need in your life and that you're going to receive in your life is going to come from Friends, relationships, confidants, not necessarily a pastor or a leader or out of some book you read, but your friends are some of the best positioned people to help you and to communicate things that are in your best interest. Fourthly, a friend is an ally in the battles of life. Friends don't allow their friends to fight alone. That's why the Bible says when one in the church suffers, we all suffer. When one is sorrowful, we're all sorrowful. When one rejoices, we all rejoice because our lives are linked and we're connected. King David, thank God he had some friends. 
he gets in a battle with the brother of Goliath. And the Bible says uh, that this brother of Goliath, Ishbi Binab is his name, thought he could kill David. He sees David weak and he sees him weary in the battle. But Abishai came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. And then the men of David said to him, you're not going out to battle anymore. They cared for his well-being, both present and future. And they said, you're not going out to battle with us again. So let's talk about the trouble with friendship. We have the story of Cain and Abel, and I want to use this. I know that uh, this is a brother-to-brother relationship, but I think it speaks to what can be at work in our lives uh, that is causing so much trouble in our ability to bond and connect and maintain friendships. Because one, one thing that people do is if there's relational breakdown or if they're the type of person uh, uh, that doesn't have friends and confidants, uh, it's always everybody else's fault. It's never I am the most loving and patient. I don't know what everybody's problem is. So the story of Cain and Abel gives us some insight about what's at work in all of our hearts that we have to overcome. Remember, we know the story. Cain murdered his brother Abel. And then, as a consequence, Cain is talking to God and said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. So what's it saying there? So he violates a relationship. And the result of that violation is that a curse is going to play out in his life, and he's going to have an inability to connect relationally from that point forward, and his personality is going to become so distasteful that when people first meet him, they're going to be put off. Anyone who finds me will kill me. Listen, we may not have it at work, to that extreme. I don't think we do. But there is a contrariness to friendships that is built into human nature. And it's an area where many struggle. An inability to foster and maintain long-term relationships. We don't trust. We're uncomfortable and insecure in social settings. We can't break the ice. We get offended. We don't know how to fix and communicate and be transparent and repair. And so there's some of us sitting here tonight when I gave the pop quiz. Uh, maybe you could name one friend, maybe none, maybe two. Uh, but we should be, we should have multiple friendships that are healthy uh, and that add so much uh, to the quality uh, and the emotional and spiritual stability of our lives. That's what the curse of Cain is all about. Something was transferred. And fold it into the curse that has been inherited. Uh, you know, you look at prisons today. You look at hospitals. You go to court, family court. I spent a lot of hours in family court over the years. And the hatred and the hostility and the vetch and the anger 
is, is uh, almost incomprehensible. So obviously this can be an area of testing for every believer. And it's an area where many struggle. And I think a lot of us are vulnerable here, and we need to pay attention to this matter. Someone said these words, and I thought this was pretty insightful. Some people make enemies instead of friends because it's less trouble. Seems to be easier, doesn't it, to get somebody mad and then not fix it? It's hard to get somebody to like you and love you. It's hard to foster a friendship. And he went on to write this, he who loves 50 has 50 woes. He who loves 10 has 10 woes. He who loves none has no woes. And I think that friendship, we know that relationships, we talk a lot about relationships from the pulpit here, and the Bible does. But I think friendship produces one of our greatest challenges. It produces one of the greatest tests of life. Can we love? Can we forgive? Can we mend a broken relationship? Can we be a friend? You know, it's one thing to get wounded by a stranger or to get cut off in traffic. That'll get you mad. Your anger may last till you get home and you tell somebody else and it just goes away and you forget about it. But when a friend hurts you, when a friend betrays you, when a friend does something that upsets, whether it was intentional or unintentional, it's quite another matter and there are people and you're sitting here tonight you think that should never happen and you actually think uh, that what's been done to you by a friend uh, you've never done to anybody else you've only been all about love and sacrifice listen the people that you love the most are in position to hurt you the most Husbands and wives, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, and friends. That's why in the narrative of the discourse on friendship in the Bible, it talks about the wounds of a friend. Iron sharpens iron. Offenses will come, Jesus said. And some people give up on friendship and you couldn't name a friend or a confidant because you've given up on friendship because of all this. Listen, friendship is hard work. It's going to require a depth to your life, your spiritual life, your emotional life, your will and your choices. You're going to have to be committed and you're going to have to be faithful. You're going to have to be tough and strong and weather storms. You're going to have to do right. You're going to have to exercise humility when uh, 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 you need to apologize or say I'm sorry or accept someone else's apology or their request for forgiveness. It requires humility. And it seems like this business of maintaining friendships requires the most challenging and difficult attributes in our lives. So there's a challenge. Are we going to be Christ-like? Or fallen nature like. And of course, this is for some here tonight when 
it comes to friendship, you have to be discerning. You cannot be friends and confide in just anyone. In the Bible, if it advocates anything, it advocates that you be very discerning when it comes to friendships in your life. Listen to how clear the language of the Bible is. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four: Make no friendship with an angry man. With a furious man, do not go. Use discernment. Better not hitch my wagon to that person, at least not now. James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. How do we become a friend of the world? Well, one of the best ways to become a friend of the world is to hang around with a worldly person. A worldly person. They're fixated, obsessed with the world, with materialism. With the things of this life, they're not a person who prays and has a spiritual dimension to their life. And so you have to be discerning. Listen, I have relationships with lots of people, with sinners, people that are not Christians. But what we're talking about here is friendship, and that is reserved. You can't be friends on Facebook with 1,500 people or a million people, or however many people you claim to be friends with in your lonely, empty life. That's why you have to be discerning because there's only room for a few. Proverbs 12:26 A righteous man is cautious in friendship. That translation says the right put it back up. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. Same thing. And again, there's some people they have no discernment when it comes to friendship. You're a parent here. You've got a kid, a child, a son or a daughter. They are of um, middle school, junior high or high school age. And all of a sudden, you see a shift in their behavior. They're nasty. They're lippy and rebellious. And you might want to ask them, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with them? You might talk to your husband or a friend. Uh, something uh, has happened to my daughter or has happened to my... It's the wrong question. It's not what is happening to my son or daughter. It's who is happening to my son or daughter. They're hanging around with people uh, and through friendship, uh, their character, their personality, uh, how they think, how they talk uh, is beginning to alter uh, because in all friendship, uh, in all relationship, there is an exchange. That's why the Bible says... Uh, that um, evil company in First uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty three evil company corrupts good habits, and the Bible says I wrote to you in my epistle, First Corinthians five nine, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. I mean, it's pretty clear that you have to be discerning. Don't keep company with sexually immoral people. But I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. You can have a relationship with that person for the purpose of trying to influence them. I'll go out with a backslider, someone who's not a Christian, 
But the point of the relationship is I want to get them saved. I want to influence them. I want to bring conviction to their life. I'm not hanging around them in the context of friendship as someone I can confide in and have transparency with. Second Thessalonians, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person. Do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. So you have to be discerning when it comes to friendship. That's one of the problems, troubles, difficulties. And then friendship can be very inconvenient. If you're going to have a real friendship, you're not going to be able to conduct that relationship solely on your terms. That's the problem with a lot of people. They insist that everything is on their terms. And when their terms are not met by their friend, they get mad. They get frustrated. They get upset. Friendship will make demands on you. There are requirements in friendship. It encroaches on our time. It may cost us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It certainly costs Jesus. This is how we know that what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to also lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus said, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, so you want to be a friend of Jesus, it's going to cost obedience. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You see what it's talking about? God spoke to Moses as a man talks to his friends. Jesus wants to relate to us, not as boss to employee or master to servant. The servant only knows what the master wants him to know. He only knows what he needs to know in our relationship with God. He wants to elevate us so that we know what he knows. He wants to put us on even footing. And as a matter of fact, that's what salvation is all about. The Bible says that we are co-inheritors. The same thing that Jesus is inheriting in heaven, we get to share together. And so our relationship with God is elevated to a position of friendship. But friendship can be very inconvenient, can be very costly, and it can require a high level a sacrifice. So let me close by talking about the reward of friendship. Isolation is a curse. Many times it's willful. You know, there are a lot of hurting and broken people. All these homeless people that we see. People that you see disheveled and they're talking to themselves. They're schizophrenic. These are people generally, mostly, they've been crushed somehow, some way in a relationship. They've been rejected. They've been molested. They've been abused. They've been thrown away. And they're hurting. And they're crushed. 
and they're isolated. They can't bond. You could, out of your love and compassion, you could go to one of these people, take them and say, look, let me take you home, get you cleaned up, new suit of clothes. I'll get you a job at an apartment. You know, it wouldn't last but a few days, a week or two at the most. They'd be right back where they were. They just can't function. But you know, there are a lot of people that choose to live in isolation. Research shows that people who live in isolation or are one of the one in four Americans who has no friends is unhealthy. It's unhealthy emotionally, but it's also unhealthy physically. With good friends, healthy relationships, people are emotionally and physically more healthy. That article that I read from in the beginning went on to say that social ties are good preventative medicine. And remember, as hard as this may be, you may disagree with me. This may upset you. Having no friends is a reflection of you, not people around you. God intended this. Intended relationships not to be a curse to you. That's the way some people look at relationships. They've only been a hurt and a curse and and people are so mean and they're so unfriendly and they're so selfish and I just can't get along with anybody and this person did this and said that and and uh, I'm mad and I'm angry and look at the mess that I'm in. Listen, friendship was designed by God to be an instrument of blessing. He created us to need it. It's not an option for you to fix this area of your life. He created us to need it. It's necessary for wholeness. That's what God wants in his relationship with you. He doesn't want boss, employee, or general and buck private. That's not how he wants to relate to us. He wants to pull us up even and sit face to face and interact with us as a man would interact with his best friend, enjoy the company, look forward to being together and doing things together. It is a necessary component in the shaping of our lives after God's nature. We need friends for that purpose. And the Bible says so. Iron sharpens iron. We affect, we change, we influence uh, my friends in life. Uh, and some of them have been my friends for 40 years now since uh, the day of my conversion. I entered into these uh, relationships. They're not They don't number in the hundreds, but they number in the several of those that have been my friends for these four decades, others that I meet along the way and in my travels, in my relationships, and my opportunities that I have in ministry, I get to meet a lot of people, and the greatest reward for me is friendships and relationships all over the world. These friends are in a position better than Maybe anybody else to bring correction, to be an example, to be an instrument of deliverance, and to bring impartation to your life. Do you know that friendship is also an instrument of evangelism? I still remember when I got saved 40 years ago. 
young guy in the church named Mark Stair. Don't know him. Don't know anybody in the church. I got saved with my wife and a friend and his wife, uh, and we stepped into this church, uh, and we enter into these relationships. Uh, Larry Beauregard prayed with me to get filled with the Holy Ghost, still my friend today. Uh, this uh, young man named Mark Stair. Uh, I don't know why, uh, but he befriended me, introduced himself, uh, invited me out. Uh, I... I stood with him the first time I preached in the street and I was shaking and I was scared uh, to death uh, and he handed me the microphone and stood right next to me and kind of urged me on. Uh, we went on an outreach one Saturday, uh, door to door. It's the first time I'd ever done anything like this uh, and I went along with him as he knocked on the door and I watched him uh, and he became my friend uh, and that friend uh, was evangelistic because it helped connect me uh, and establish me in that church. And by committing ourselves to being a friend to someone, we embrace the attributes of God. He spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. This is the position that God takes. And so when we take the position of a friend to someone else, we're taking the position that God has chosen to take. The scripture that I already read, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. And there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Do you remember the comedian? This might date me a little bit. There's a comedian, he's dead now, named Rodney Dangerfield. Anybody remember him? He said, I told my old man one day, meaning his father, everybody hates me. My old man said, don't say that. Everybody hasn't met you yet. Give him a chance. There's a very touching story about Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson, of course, was the African-American uh, baseball player for the Brooklyn Dodgers, drafted onto the team by uh, the uh, uh, chief executive officer of the Dodgers, a, name by the, a man by the name of Branch Rickey. He saw the uh, athleticism, the ability, the racism. He wanted to break that stranglehold, and so he put Jackie Robinson on the team. In the 1940s, this happened. And, of course, our country was uh, in the grips of a lot of prejudice against uh, uh, black people, African Americans, uh, and not just them. There were Jews included in that, Italians and Presbyterians and everybody. Hated everybody, but he said, no, we're going to break this. And so when he started playing baseball, there was a lot of hatred and vitriol. Fans would scream and shout, uh, uh, curse words at him, call him names. Uh, they would throw trash uh, at him uh, when he stood out there on the baseball field when their team was called uh, uh, to go out and take their position. Uh, uh, and this went on. And then on May 13th, it was early in, I think it was his rookie year, as a matter of fact, in Jackie Robinson's baseball career. They were in Cincinnati, Ohio on May 13th, 1947. They're the visiting team, so they took uh, the field, or they batted first, and then they took the field in the bottom of the first inning. And that crowd was hostile. They were shouting. They were cursing. They were throwing things at him. And Jackie Robinson, I don't know if you know this, but he played first base. I mean, it, 
Might have been a little better if they put him at second base or shortstop, but he's right there by where the stands are. And in those days, stands were a lot closer. And so they're only 15 or 20 feet away. They're throwing things at him. There's a shortstop on the team, a man by the name of Pee Wee Reese. He could see it struck him for the first time as he looked at this crowd and all the hostility. There are tens of thousands of people there. And he looked at Jackie Robinson and he saw the hurt on his face. And he had compassion for this man who had become his friend. And he said, I'm not just going to let this man stand there alone. And Pee Wee Reese, he's a little white guy, walked across the field before the first batter came up. And while all this noise and the shouting and the trash throwing and the cursing, uh, he stood there, put his arm on Pee Wee Reese's shoulder, on uh, Jackie Robinson's shoulder, uh, and stood next to him and just stared back at the crowd. And it wasn't but a few minutes, and the crowd went completely silent. They lost their mojo. Today, I think it's at Yankee Stadium, there's a statue of that little scene of Jackie Robinson standing with Pee Wee Reese's arm on his shoulder. He took a risk for his friend. He took criticism for his friend, but he saw his friend hurting. That's what friends do. That's what we need to be. God spoke to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody moving around. We need God to help us at this altar tonight. We need to surrender to this principle of friendship, being a friend, fostering friendship, acknowledging our wrongdoing, Repenting, getting our hearts right, humbling ourselves. It's not healthy not to have friends. It's not healthy. And you're not going to succeed in life without friends. And it isn't everybody's fault that you don't have as many friends as you'd like to. The Bible has such incredible wisdom, doesn't it? A man who has friends must himself be friendly. The onus is on us. The curse is at work. It frustrates relationship. Causes hostility and conflict and abandonment of friendship and relationship. And as that survey that I read in the beginning of the service states, one in four Americans, no friends. The average American used to have three confidants. Now it's two. What's going on in our country? People aren't getting closer together. They're drawing further apart. More sin, more selfishness, more isolation. So as you're pondering that, I want you to keep your heads bowed. Perhaps you've come to the service tonight And maybe this really is an issue in your life. You're not a Christian. You're not saved. You're not right with God. Maybe you've been deeply wounded and deeply hurt and maligned in your life. And you really need God's love and God's touch. You need a friend is what you need. First and foremost, you need the friend that God wants to be for you in your life. God is not unapproachable. God is not unreachable. God is not position himself as a 
general in heaven who always talks down to us. He wants relationship. He wants friendship with you. It's an amazing thing. This is how he identifies himself. This is how Jesus identified what he wants out of his disciples. He said, I don't call you servants. I want you to be my friends. Doesn't mean we're equal. But it speaks of the relational longing of the heart of God to bond and connect with us relationally. That's what he wants out of us. And that's what we need to be for and with others. You got to be able to forgive. You got to be able to humble yourself. You got to be able to see your own flaws. To acknowledge when you've made the mistake and you've been the problem. Is that so hard? It is, apparently. I've been the problem. I've been the one who's offended and cut people off and mismanaged my relationships. And I want to repent. You know, in this church, as old as our congregation is, 40 years old nearly, (coughs) going on 40. Some of you have been present here 10, 20. We should have the very best, closest, healthiest relationships. There's nothing abnormal about this congregation. It's a totally normal one where people offend and hurt each other from time to time, inadvertently many times. But we don't run. We don't abandon. We don't isolate ourselves. We fix. We repair. We go back. We love. We're vulnerable. We can get hurt again. But look, that's the position that Jesus put himself in. He put himself in a position to be rejected by virtue of how much he loved us. How much he cared. Look at the humility that he went through to put himself in a position to be your friend tonight. So as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved. You're not born again. You're not a Christian. And you know you are not right with God, but you want to get right with him. You want to repent of your sin. And you want to come to Christ. If that describes you tonight, I want you to just lift your hand right now. Pastor, pray for me. I want to repent. I want to get my heart right with God. I want to know Jesus. I want to be born again. Please help me and pray for me. I'm ready to acknowledge my sin and acknowledge that I'm the problem, and I want to repent. God bless you, son. I see that. Thank you. Is there anyone else? God bless you, sir. Thank you. We're going to pray for you in a moment. Anyone else tonight? Lift your hand right up. Now's the time. There's saving love and grace and forgiveness here tonight. Would you lift your hand right up? I need Jesus. I want to repent. I want to get my heart right with God. In Jesus' name, lift your hand right up and put it right back down all over this building. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, nobody moving around for just a moment. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, if you raise your hand, would you look at me? Do you mean that? Amen. God bless you. Do you mean that, sir? God bless you. Would you guys come and let us pray with you? Angel, could you come and pray with a brother? And you pray with him. God bless you. Thank you, brother, for coming. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. We need an altar. It's time to fix and repair. It's time to come out of isolation. Maybe it's time to reinforce your friendships. Do something kind and generous to someone. Maybe, maybe you've not used wisdom in your friend. Maybe you, you, you got some friendships. You're being transparent with the wrong people. You've chosen a confidant with someone who's not right themselves. Doesn't mean you can't be with that person. Like I said, 
I have relationships, but there's a difference between a relationship and the kind of friendship, deep friendship that we're talking about here. Left to ourselves, we'll have no friends. We get offended, we get angry, we cut people off. That's all the attributes of human nature. You know how you can repair friendship? Humble yourself. Go to a person that maybe you've been estranged from. Apologize, repent, even if you think it's their fault. Forget all that. Forget who's right and who's wrong. You know, I've learned over the years of pastoring and ministry, a lot of times I apologize for people that they accuse me of that I haven't done because I'm trying to fix the relationship. I'm sorry. But we're so proud and so unwilling. See, this is the hard business. This is where the rubber meets the road in our spiritual life. This is what really expresses whether or not we have a real, deep, thriving, abiding relationship with Jesus. It is Thanksgiving that needs roots, but so does friendship, doesn't it? So you scratch the surface because all of the relationships are on the surface. They quickly blow away, but you can offend and be hurt, go through trials and tribulations with certain people, and the friendship remains through thick and thin. Because there's depth. I think there's some friendships here. I don't know anything. But there's no doubt in my mind that there are friendships here that are so precious and valuable and necessary for you. But they're dormant right now. And they need to be fixed. And someone needs to go to someone somewhere in this.